Morning and welcome to Axis Church. We're so glad you're here today. Every time we gather, we like to open and read a portion of the scriptures. Now, some people call the Bible God's manual for life, although that makes it sound a little colourless and it's anything but. In the Bible, we find interactions of God engaging with everyday people. The good, bad and the ugly are all there. And that means we too can find a home for our lives in there. So the Bible is anything but a dull and boring account of God. It's this lively, exciting experiences of the way people interacted with him. And the good news is this. God is for us and not against us. That's why the message of the Bible is called the gospel. It literally means good news. God is for us and not against us. So what we do today is not just religious activity. It's us hearing about God's love story. And if you've never heard it before, please hear it for the first time today. He totally is in love with you. If you're a regular church person, I remind you of the opportunity we have at this time online. A recent study by Rainer said 82% of people would come to church, physically that is, to a building if they were invited. Imagine now the fact that this is so accessible online. That figure is even greater. So today, if this is touching for you in some way, share it with your friends. Let them in on this opportunity to explore God together. We are starting a new series today called Faith Over Fear here at Axis Church. It's an exciting journey. Uh, Some of you, though, are going to hear that statement and go, huh, aren't you like two months late on the uptake there, Jono? I mean, yes, a couple of months ago, I was feeling pessimistic about life. I mean, couldn't even get toilet paper at that stage. But haven't we kind of gone past the worst of the current situation I mean, are you trying to rewind me back into the fear of eight weeks ago where I was back then? You're just one of these pessimistic, glass half empty type of guys. Well, no, not really. I'm not sure that we have escaped fully from a national perspective of the impact of COVID-19. Perhaps medically, we've managed it really, really well. And to those who serve God in our community in the medical space, thank you. But economically, I think the battle might be far from over. In fact, future generations might have a rescue mission on their hands there. That rebuild will no doubt be a long-term one. Some budget experts think that 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 will be going on for quite some time. Still, for listeners who are in a super positive frame of mind today, and you're coming from the perspective that if I've got this far, then, you know, if I've got through the last eight weeks, well, then I'm pretty feeling certain about the next eight. They'll be okay. Well, if you're that type of person who looks forward and doesn't have a worry in the world, good for you. That's really, really cool. You get the benefit of hearing this series through a different filter. You can bank the strength that you can draw on here for future days when another storm comes because, hate to be the bearer of bad news, but another storm is coming. The Bible presents the trials and storms of life not as a as a if but as a when. They're coming. They're coming again soon. So navigating challenges, whether they're felt for you in the current moment or looking down the track, is always one of life's biggest 
things to wrestle with. But here's the thing to note. The quality of your life will never exceed the quality of your thoughts. So now, right now in this cultural moment, never been a better time than now to establish good emotional hygiene as we look forward. Rather than carry stress around, which is so easy to do in 2020, I mean, this moment in history is providing plenty of opportunity for that. But we, want to, we don't want to do that. So how do we make sure our faith wins this mental battle rather than our fears? Today we're going to read from the Holy Scriptures in 1 Peter 5 and uh, invite you to turn there or open your device there. It's always good to have an introduction though when we, when we come to a new passage of Scripture. Uh, who are the first hearers? What was their story? What's the background? Because there always is one. Whenever we open our Bibles, there's always a backstory. First Peter was written to a bunch of Jesus followers in the uh, early first century, uh, believed to be at a time when the city of Rome actually has just been burnt to the ground. And the locals there believe their emperor did that on purpose, Nero. And he set the city on fire. Now you say, why would a local civic leader do such a terrible thing? Well, he loved to build. And the only way he could build more was by demolishing what he existed. And so the locals were beginning to get suspicious of him and blame this terrible event on him. And he, he felt the pressure of that and he was looking for a scapegoat. And the, the early believers at the time were the perfect scapegoat for Nero. He could blame this on them and they wouldn't strike back. And looking at Peter through that lens provides us with real insight because it's all about how a follower of Jesus should act when they are unjustly criticised, which is very likely what is going on. They didn't get permission to run away. No, they didn't. Chapter 2, verse 17 actually advises the opposite. Continue being loyal to your authorities. So they had to endure despite the challenge, despite the fear. We're going to read today from chapter 5 of this letter, First Peter chapter 5. And it starts off like this. A word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. When the great shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of never-ending glory and honour. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. At the right time, he will lift you up in honour. Give all your worries and cares to God. Here's why. For he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that those, remember that your family of believers, rather, all over the world 
are going through the same kind of suffering you are. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word today. Peter gives this early church an SOS. Their life is in danger. They better stay alert. And it had nothing at all to do with COVID-19. This threat was much more serious and sustained than any virus ever could be. The threat wasn't blowing over. Uh, Hiding in lockdown won't suffice. The first readers couldn't escape this threat. It was coming and it still exists today. Peter draws alarm to the fact that everyone on the planet has a grim rival. And verse 8 gives a picture. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Literally read, swallow whole. Now, this idea of a roaring lion of satanic forces probably conjures up all sorts of images in your mind if you've been watching movies. And although those images are shocking, they're hardly worrying because after all, they're just fictional characters, right? The average Aussie fears Satan as much as they do Santa Claus. I mean, he's just a fictional character. There's good and bad news I have for you here. The good news is the devil's looks may be nowhere near as ghostly as what you see in the movies. The bad news is his intentions might be a whole lot more ghastly. Satan is a hater. He hates everything that God loves, especially people, people like you. He's out to cause harm at every opportunity. He poses a genuine threat and he's not a make-believe personality. There is a dark side in operation in our world today. He's as authentic as your income taxes. That's how real he is. Peter warns that engaging with this real devil is no laughing matter. The word devil here literally means one prone to slander or accuse falsely. That describes his activity and his intent, both are evil. He comes to throw accusations and he doesn't mind if they're true or not, as long as they stick, as long as they do damage. This serious memo from Peter stipulates the need for serious caution. Not a fixation with the dark side, not to be obsessed with what the devil is up to. Some people do that and get weird and all strange like there's a demon behind every single tree so here's what not to do blame everything that goes wrong in life on demonic forces such people like this you know they run out of petrol and satan did it satan attacked them really running out of petrol was a satanic attack or did you just forget to not fill up at the bowser i mean fair go don't blame everything on the devil your boss is demon possessed because he's giving you a hard time really Or is it just that you're being slack at work and he's holding you accountable? I mean, there's a difference. There's a difference between being attacked from the devil and being accountable for our actions. Peter, however, here encourages us. It's worth noticing we have a serious opponent in life. Failure to notice that could be fatal. Following Jesus again is not a Sunday school picnic. Shots are being fired from the dark side. The devil here is referred to as a roaring lion. In other words, he's a formidable opponent for anyone, but particularly people who are sheep, which is how the Bible describes us. A lion then is well above the defense mechanisms of a sheep. An angry lion provokes images of dread. It's frightening. 
I remember taking uh, Abby and Bella to the Melbourne Zoo a couple of years ago. And uh, we got to the area where the lion's den was. And there was a particular boy there right up against the glass. And he was tapping, constantly tapping on this glass, trying to get the lion to wake up because the lion was just on the other side, but pretty much looked dead. There was just motionless, no movement at all. And this boy keeps incessantly knocking there on this lion's cage. Well, eventually you can probably guess what happened. That lion jumped up and roared loud at that little four or five-year-old boy and he went running and squealing like his life depended on it. Is that what our reaction is supposed to be when we feel these dark forces coming against our lives? We're supposed to run to high heaven and hope that hell doesn't catch up? Is that the method here? Well, some of you will be saying, settle down, John. I mean, yes, Satan is real, but we have nothing to worry about. He's a roaring lion, sure, but he's like toothless. He only has a roar left. That's all he has. The resurrected Jesus took care of him and took away all his authority. Well, I'm not sure that that's Peter's tone here. Notice what he says about this lion. He's looking for someone to devour doesn't say he's looking for someone to play hide and seek with or play peekaboo. He's looking to do damage. Elsewhere, the New Testament says this, this, this roaring lion comes to steal, kill and destroy. He always comes with evil intent. And that scepticism of us really going, does he even exist? Is he even capable of doing damage? That's exactly, that's exactly the type of thinking that he's after. Many satanic attacks are likely to go undetected because they're so well camouflaged. Contextually, we get insights into the methodology of the dark side here. 1 Peter 5.8 warns of satanic attacks. 1 Peter 5.7 talks about us giving stress points up to God. Let me repeat that. 1 Peter 5.8 warns of satanic attacks. 1 Peter 5, 7 talks about giving our stress points up to God. So what's the connection? When I fail to give my worries and cares to God, I give darkness access. It's that simple. It's that ordinary. When I fail to give my worries and cares to God, I open up the door for the dark side to come in to my life. Here's what this looks like. Satan uses the everyday stuff of life, the pressures and stresses and worries that we feel to draw us into this place of worry and anxiety and irrational fear. He, he, he's aiming to, to rob me of any emotional health where, where fear begins growing and faith begins dying. And I end up what my friend Cam calls a level five spaz attack where I've got no control left whatsoever of my thinking stress to the max we know that satan does initiate every bad thing in his life sometimes it's just my poor behavior but here's what he'll do he'll jump onto every opportunity and maximize that to try and cause shame and draw attention to the blunder and and, and cause drama and have me moving towards fear with a very 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 clear goal every single time to break the connection I feel with my Father God, to make him seem unapproachable. The trial here that these early believers are feeling that they're facing in the natural with the emperor has a supernatural element attached to it 
as well. They were absolutely related. The everyday stuff of life is where the enemy does his best work. But the best way to stay healthy, though, for these Christ followers was not to run to the emperor and give them a piece of his, give him rather a piece of their mind. That wasn't it. They were to run elsewhere to the prayer closet and take their intensity out there before their loving father. When I miss doing that and I carry my hurts and carry my burdens and carry my worries and take matters into my own hands, I miss Peter's warning here. Satan shows up in that very moment. He's delighted when he sees that little crack in my trust in God. The cares of life themselves are not satanic invasions. They're just life. Bills coming in, cars breaking down, people making mistakes. That'll never change. But in that dynamic, that moment of choice is my choice to either load bear, which sheep are never designed to do, or carry my burdens to my father. I have a choice in that very moment. Here's what Satan tries to do in that moment of challenge. He takes the promises of yesterday and turns them into questions today. The things I was convinced about yesterday that I felt so sure of in the light. Now in this dark, challenging trial of life that I'm facing seems so fuzzy. It's been rightly said, don't doubt in the dark what God has already shown in the light. This process happens so gradually for us. It creeps up on us. It's why Peter says, wake up, wake up, wake up. Don't, don't dare take your eye off the ball here. You have an enemy who's, who's always on the prowl, seeking to see that little crack in your trust in God and make much of it. Here's how this rolls in everyday life. We have this promise that God will provide our needs. That's the promise. And then a bill arrives in the mail today. And this one's different, isn't it? This, this, this particular bill is different because you don't have any money in your account to, to pay. And, the, and the, the income this month is not matching up with the expenditure. And this promise that God will supply all my needs doesn't seem to work. And there's one thing left to do. Take matters into my own hands. Worry, because that'll fix it, right? Wrong. Satan managed to get in and create a perceived gap between promise and provision and fear strangles out faith. There's a scripture about how we have a part in God's family and we're all in unity in that team together. We're not trying to be united. We are. This is a promise. This is a statement from God. That's the truth of the matter. We get to maintain what God's already created. But here's what the enemy of souls does. He comes in and holds up the facts of the matter. He reminds you, this isn't your first showdown with Kyle. No, when you're at your so tired of Kyle. He's let you down time and time and time again. There's no way forward. The only thing left to do is to cut him loose because a relationship with him doesn't work. So the promise of unity got traded in for reality. And that scripture about God's protective care over our physical bodies, clearly that's not for you. Not now, not in this moment, because the persistent pain continues and the diagnosis looks bleak. The the medical team said so and they're the experts. They would know. 
The test results are only going to confirm what you already know. There's no hope for you. Those plans you had to serve, gone. The situation's miserable. See what the enemy does? Through strategic suggestions, that fear begins to grow. Our faith muscle deteriorates in the face of overwhelming odds. So what do we do to intervene? Verse 9 tells us what to do. Stand firm against him, that is the devil, and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. So here's what to do. Stand firm, be strong. Remember that suffering attacks are normal. The normal Christian life is one of, of pain and trial and endurance. In fact, Peter might say, if you can't recall the last time you faced any of that, then, then the question becomes, are you really a Jesus follower at all? Because this is the normal family trait of someone who's in the family of God. Suffering's part of the deal. While these instructions here from Peter are good, at the risk of sounding irreverent, I want to push back and go, but Pete, let's get real. I mean, we're being hammered from pillar to post because that's what's going on here in this uh, reading contextually. And if it's poetry you're writing, Peter, this is 10 out of 10. But if it's helping someone endure through hardship, this is like a zero. My problem with 1 Peter 5.9 is I can't find the handlebars that I need in the thrust of everyday life when I'm being challenge because that's where the rubber meets the road here satan came to adam and eve in the garden with an apple satan come to jesus with the temptation of bread i mean it's real life so what do i do with be strong in faith doesn't sound particularly practical how do i be strong in faith how do i stand firm we need to rush now but real quick let's consider the practical message of 1 peter 5 on the how how we stand strong in faith how we stand firm against the dark side, how to keep worries and concerns and fears from life, from strangling faith. Here's how, two key ideas to avoid a level five spaz attack. Two key ideas to keep us in faith and out of fear. They involve a surprising posture and a surprising place. A surprising posture, humble trust. Why is it surprising? Because it doesn't sound well, aggressive enough. I mean, if it's warfare we're talking about, if there's a roaring lion coming towards me, I want a baseball bat at least, and I'm going to swing as though my life depends on it. Or I'm going to run fast. I mean, what does Peter mean? Stand still in humble trust. Well, there's times where the Bible talks about taking ground from the enemy. But here in 1 Peter... The focus is just don't give any ground. Stand still. Stand still. The most courageous thing you can do sometimes is stand still. The message is for someone today who's been unjustly criticised. Stand your ground. Stand still. See through the lies that are coming against you and discern where they're coming from. And stand firm in faith. First Peter 5, 7 says one clear way we fight against the dark side is by humbling, trusting God. We don't wait there. We cast our cares on him. 
Notice what it doesn't say. We cast our cares on each other. No, no, no. We don't carry our own cares. We cast them onto him because he's strong enough to bear them. Have you thought much lately about this concept of casting your cares in the Lord? I didn't say have you heard it before. We Probably many of us have heard it before, but when's the last time you did it? Cast your cares upon the Lord. We've got a why here. Because he really, really, really cares for you. If we load bear, if we carry these worries around, we make the job of the roaring lion really, really easy. We're easy pickings. My capacity to carry worries and fears is just not there. James 4, 7 says, Humble yourself before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is surprising, right? But humble trust is a massive power play in this fight against darkness. It's a, it's a most effective posture because his power lies in us and our defiant stand then disempowers the enemy. A safe posture for war, humble trust. A safe place for war, humble submission. The umbrella sitting over our conversation today is actually godly leadership. We humble ourselves under God's mighty hand as we humble ourselves to mature godly people that are in our circle, some will say, Jonah, that's the very problem. I don't have humble godly people in my circle that are worthy of my submission. Well, admittedly, this is tough. Sometimes finding good godly models is hard to find. But here's the question. What's my part in that? It's easy to look out and go, well, they're just not around. But what's my part in that? There's an old proverb that says, the teacher is ready when the student is ready. What's my part? What would I do to posture myself where I can attract humble, godly leaders? This is confirmation bias. Sometimes we get what we look for. If we go out and say, well, there's just no good models around, we end up getting what we are seeking First Peter 5 is framed within the broader context of godly leaders. I think alerting us to the danger that going into the war zone with a roaring lion all by yourself is really not a good idea. Don't go there without backup. Peter implies it's terribly dangerous to do so. You are far better placed in this personal fight with this roaring lion if you walk in submission side by side, not only with God, but with godly people, the elders, the people who have oversight in your circle. If we walk in submission, not only with the Lord, but with his people, we are well placed to resist the attack of the enemy in our minds. Can I lay it on really, really thick? I need to because we're entering our last minutes. It probably means we're going to have to share more of our life than what we feel ready for. In the midst of a battle, when the fear feels very, very much alive and you feel so, so vulnerable, you share then. You share then. Before you've sort of conquered it and worked it all out and got, joined all the dots. No, no, you share sometimes right in the heat, in the middle of the battle. You call in prayer support. You willfully submit and live in community. This is what we need to do if we are to conquer fear and live out faith. I look forward to continuing our conversation next week. We're going to talk about waiting on God and what to do when it seems like God's not coming 
through. That'll be another great conversation. Let's close out in prayer today. Father, we recognise that in life we're not in neutral territory, but with you we are overcomers. We don't need to be intimidated. We are choosing today faith over fear. We choose faith. We recognise the lies of the enemy for what they are. He, he tries to convince us we are not loved. We are not acceptable to you. We are not worthy before you. But we recognise today what you say about us. And we stand firm. We stand still. We hold our ground, rejecting his lies and casting our cares, Lord, onto you. These concerns that come along and try and weigh us down. We recognise today that we are sheep. We are not supposed to bear loads. You, the good shepherd, are our great care. And so today we throw ourselves afresh on you, Lord. We give you our trust. You're the only one deserving of it. And we say today, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. You are so invested in our lives. And so we surrender them to you. We hand our life into your care and we ask for a greater capacity to trust you today and see that the people you've put alongside us around about us in life are there and they're part of your hands and feet to support us as we work, walk this road of life. Lord, keep us from the enemy and all his schemes and make our faith strong today. Keep us from evil. We declare today our faith is in you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to sing now, Come to the Altar.